Welcome back to Allied, the podcast for everything you need to know about web and video accessibility. I'm your host, Elisa Lewis, and we're excited to have Joseph Sincata on the podcast today to talk about accessibility and architecture and share a bit about his company, Wheelpad. Joseph has long been passionate about sustainable, durable, and intentional design. His architecture and planning firm, LineSync, has been operating since 1988 with the goal of designing, quote, green under the radar. Joseph has served as LineSync's principal architect since its founding and went on to create Wheelpad alongside Julie Leinberger after their godson experienced an accident resulting in quadriplegia. After witnessing his godson's struggle to find an accessible apartment, Joseph realized his own expertise could be the solution they were looking for. By 2015, a prototype of the universally accessible housing accommodations offered by Wheelpad was already winning awards. From there, the idea and the company grew. Joseph, we're so glad to have you join us on Allied today to talk about accessible housing and architecture and to learn more about Wheelpad. Thank you, Joseph. I'm really excited to have you on Allied today to talk about accessible housing and architecture. To start off, would you be willing to share how you got into architecture and what led you to focusing on accessibility in the architecture space? Good question. First of all, thank you, Elisa. Good to be here. I appreciate you inviting me to your podcast and I look forward to telling you why uh, we do what we do and, uh, and and where it first came from. I I stumbled upon it through uh, a tragic injury that happened to my godson. Um, the idea of um, having a portable, accessible addition to a house seemed like a solution to a problem that my godson experienced. So he was a, a, a film person for uh, an Olympic skier at Mount Snow. And uh, there was the X Games, you know, sort of goes from mountain to mountain. And he was the videographer for Simon Dumont, an Olympic athlete. So, so he had to know how to do this, right? And he's uh, skiing backwards while Simon Dumont is doing tumbles in the air and all that. And that's not where he got injured. Uh, it was the celebration party when he won the X Games. Uh, and uh, in the pool, um, people were jumping in and out and celebrating and somebody jumped on Riley's back, my godson. And he was airlifted to Albany. His parents were good friends of ours. He had played with my children when they were tots and on up. And, you know, he was now in his own life in his mid-20s, being very successful. And all that was about to change. Um, his parents were supposed to come over for dinner. They told us what was going on. We headed over to Albany Hospital about two hours away um, and saw him after the initial assessment. Um, and he was eventually airlifted to Dartmouth-Hitchcock for a spinal injury. Um, uh, the result was that uh, his spinal injury made him uh, quadriplegic. A limited use of some of the digits, so he could use an iPhone to kind of tap with the finger. And there's all kinds of settings on smartphones now to, to, to work with accessibility, which is really sweet. 
Um, and uh, I watched uh, Riley go through the trials and tribulations of trying to get settled after a year of operations and rehab. And uh, he eventually went out west where he was based out of Portland. And uh, he was in, in a situation where he needed a place to stay because uh, Nike shoes had offered him a job at the end of the X Games that said, you know, look, when you're done with that, um, we, we want to have your excellent videography. He had done some pretty much uh, high, highly uh, watched videos um, uh, and he was known in the industry as being among the best. Um, and they said, and by the way, I hope you're not using this injury as an excuse to not come work for us. So he actually had a job at a major company. The company was willing to fund him and be patient for his rehab. It was a year. And he was now in Portland, ready to work, except for there was no place to stay. He couldn't find an accessible dwelling. Um, so he went to a hotel because there's always accessible rooms because of the wonderful ADA that this country really, I, I mean, you know, it's a lot of things you can say about our country. Uh, Amanda Gorman said it best, it's a work in progress. Um, we were the first to really kind of say, every, be inclusive that way. And it's a lot to be proud of for that. Um, and so he was able to have, stay in a hotel. Then after nine months, he got to be able to stay in a, an apartment. They found an apartment from that was accessible. Uh, and then another nine months, so you're a year and a half now, Two and a half years after his accident, he's um, he's finally found a place, and and I I um, had told him back at the hospital in Albany, you know, whatever you need, I'm I'm, I'm I can help. Uh, I w I would love to help. Um, you're my godson, and uh, we we helped him select the right house that he could adapt. Um, he lived in North, uh, Southeast Portland, uh, uh, needed about sixty thousand dollars worth of work. Um, that took time. So we're, we're, he's really got a house that he can use after three years and another 60,000, so 120 total to make a one-story house accessible. And, and that was his father doing the work. His father was in construction. So probably the retail value of the construction was more. Um, when you make a bathroom modification, people don't forget, you know, you've got to grow it somewhere. If you grow it out, that usually doesn't work because it's too narrow to get in the first place. And if you grow out into other rooms, you're impinging on other rooms. So it's, it's a fairly cumbersome thing. And uh, Riley had sent me on a kind of a, 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 an interesting first choice. He was like, we're going to design my own house and you're going to design it for me. And I want to make it out of containers. And his love of containers, uh, which I don't share, by the way, they're, they're cold, noisy, poorly insulated, and small, um, cramped. But, uh, you know, I love the idea of this instant box. And I got that's why he was going for it. I, uh, I thought one day I said, you know, I, Riley, wouldn't it have been neat if you could have had a tiny house that was fully accessible, bedroom and bathroom, um, and it would you'd be able to hook it up to your, one of your parents' houses. They live in separately and they both love them and all that. And, and, and they live nearby, they moved nearby. One of them actually moved nearby as a result of the injury just to help what they could. Um, and the idea that he could have pulled up as soon as he got to Portland, had, a, you know, had this tiny house that was accessible that we now call Wheelpad, if he could have had that, it, it, it could have been delivered on a highway. It's only eight foot six wide, so it doesn't require any special permits. You can put it, on the back of a pickup truck that has a tow package 
a heavy duty pickup truck. Um, it's less than 10,000 pounds. So it, 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 you don't require special licenses. Um, you can go uh, to the, in the driveway of any house and build a little connector and, 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 and you know, boom, you know, in a matter of weeks, not years or even months at a fraction of the cost because we were thinking we could lease these. Well, that was the idea of Wheelpad. And suddenly, you know, if you've seen my website, you know, I've been lucky enough uh, to do some really fun, big projects uh, for a guy living in a one stoplight town in Vermont. Um, <laughs> I count my blessings and I, I, I've enjoyed the pleasure of watching like lots of people go through my base lodge at Mount Snow at Corinthia or, you know, the big factory manufacturing office complex and how they enjoy using the space. When you go in these and you see people loving the spaces and really appreciating childcare places, the music places, uh, police, fire and rescue places. I, I, I've, I've had some, you know, got to know very different people than I am and really um, learned a lot and, and, and enjoyed watching them enjoy my spaces. None of that compares to the feeling of bringing someone who would have been in a hospital or an institution home. And that's kind of what got me started. I felt like I was making a really important connection, an option that didn't exist for, for humans to, to be with their loved ones. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I, I know that, you know, this really started from a personal um, and meaningful place for you and has clearly had a, a really big impact, not just on Riley, um, but on everyone who's been able to benefit from this. Um, there are 15% um, of U.S. households reporting that they have someone with a physical disability. Um, only 6% of housing un units are deemed appropriately accessible. I'm curious if you could share with us some of the top characteristics to look for in an actually accessible home. So I think a lot of people think about, you know, putting a wheelchair ramp up, but are there things to think about like countertop heights or hallways, um, you know, handrails, things like that? What are, what are some of those kind of common practices that you're looking for? Alisa, you really put your finger on some of the important details that would make all the difference. Um, I actually don't understand why every new property isn't built to be accessible. One of the things that bugged me among my design professional peers is, you know, they begrudgingly, when the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed, it was like, oh, we got to put, you know, these ramps in front of our beautiful buildings. And I'm like, wait a second, Le Corbusier has these beautiful ramps in front of the Carpenter Center at Harvard. And we all love those things. What are you talking about? We love ramps, right? We're architects. Oh, yeah, but, you know, they didn't like the idea of being forced. Oh, now we got to make these super wide doors. I said, how many times are you going through with furniture, helping a friend to get out in and out of an apartment? And it's like those doors are damn, you know, just barely there. I said, what is the, what is your problem? And you got to make the bathrooms bigger. I said, what is the worst thing than being in Lower East Side of Manhattan when you got to use a closet for a bathroom? I, it's like, you're kidding, really? You know, are we really complaining about something that we experience every day to be able to use a bathroom, to be able to walk down a hallway and to be able to have fun about getting in, not just stairs, right? I mean, the word handicap is being questioned and disability is being questioned. You got to love it. It's almost like the he, she, you know, me, we, uh, I, them or whatever that, you know, this idea of like thinking about these words that you're using, these adjectives, because the idea is that it's us, right? I mean, could be me on my next snowboard run and a half pipe, you know, 
and, I, and I'm not saying that to like be glib. It really could, you know, I, I, we all do things that are sometimes a little outside of our comfort zone because that's what humans kind of do. And, and any one of those um, could give us an injury and not even to mention accidents. They call them accidents, right? When somebody jumped on Riley's back, that was random. I, I think having a housing stock that is really for all of us, you know, not just, you know, we wouldn't think of building a facility that was just for people of a certain religion or a certain color of skin or a certain IQ. I mean, we, we, we just don't do that. Why the heck, by the pure chance of an accident or some issue, why would we make a building inaccessible to them, especially when it could be us? Yeah, I think you you really led into my next question. Um, you know, I am on the marketing team at 3Play. And so we think about it a lot in terms of web and digital accessibility. And one of the things that we always say is that you need to bake in accessibility from the beginning. So like you said, just, you know, thinking about it from architecture, you have the opportunity to make some beautiful, um, really creative ramp if you do it from the beginning. Um, but if you're going to tack it on at the end as an afterthought, it may not be as functional. It's certainly, you know, not going to be as beautiful. Um, so I think that's a, a really great point. I was curious, and you started to touch on this a little bit, but another thing that I see from the web and digital accessibility side is there are several best practices that make websites accessible, but they're also just really good design practices. So an example that comes to mind is that you should use proper headings, um, you know, in the HTML and the coding. Is there anything similar that you would share um, when it comes to designing accessible buildings and homes? Don't make them look like an afterthought. One of the things we do in our wheel pad is uh, have grab bars that are transparent. Uh, a wonderful resin. Um, they cost a little bit more. I created the concept. I, I began with uh, glass, but for obvious reasons, um, glass doesn't work very well. So I used a resin. And the idea was that, why does it have to look institutional? Why does it have to look like, you know, stuck on? What, what if it was like something fun to look at? And you'll see that in, in some of the details, uh, detailed photos that uh, Carolyn Bates, our photographer did. Uh, Elisa, I, I do encourage you to, you know, uh, look at some of our, our, our uh, photos. You might see some of the more details. I really try to um, make them integral and delightful. So there are, three, <laughs> there are three principles for architecture, and it really applies to any design profession, even, you know, things uh, that don't, aren't buildings, right? Like designing a website. A fellow named Vitruvius back in the Roman days said, firmness, commodity, and delight, or utility, commodity. Um, and so the, those are the three principles. So firmness, you know, we don't want our buildings to fall. Um, in your case, we don't want the code to not work. You know, do a solid job on your code, do a solid job on your building. Uh, commodity, utility, or utilitas in Latin, um, utility. We want things to be useful right? It's uh, ornamental is by itself is kind of useless if it's not useful, right? It's in the way otherwise. So uh, I always think of bridge design as and, and airplanes as being situations where they can't afford extra weight, right? The utility of an airplane is to fly. So you're not going to adorn it unnecessarily. The utility of a bridge is to get you safely across the river or whatever. And you're not going to put extra weight on it, right? 
what's there, I mean, the reason that bridges in general, the Brooklyn Bridge in particular, are so beautiful is they really do the most with the least. I know in code, one of the, one of the problems of bad code is when it's patched. <laughs> and they, they, rather than rewrite the code, they just patch it and it just, it's a bad idea. We know that, right? The, the, the idea of, of utility is important, but it's the third term that I find most ephemeral, most uh, inspiring actually, uh, delight. And I remember laughing at that when I was in high school. I, I've been studying architecture since I was in kindergarten, but in any event, I went to a special school, Brooklyn Tech, to uh, study architecture. And I, when I first heard that, I always thought that was superfluous. Like, why would you worry about delight? You know, it's important to make it strong. And I have come 180 degrees around on that. If my building is not fun, I failed. If, 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 you, if you wouldn't want to play hide and go seek with your ch you know, children or grandchildren, I failed, right? I mean, if it's not a fun place to be in, if it doesn't have nooks and crannies for places to hide and go seek or whatever, I mean, as adults, we hide, right? We, we, I, need a, I need a quiet place. That's not going to be in a big ass room. <laughs> it's going to be in some little nook or cranny that you know a kid could hide in, and and that's what we're doing. So we really never stop being children at heart. One of the founding fathers uh, famously said, um, "We don't stop having fun because we grow old. We grow old because we stop having fun." And delight turns out to be one of the most important things in the way I address the accessibility requirements. I, I try to make them delightful. I, I try to actually feature them and say, yeah, it's not hidden. It's actually something special. <laughs> it's like, I, 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 I wanna take that so that, you know, one of our driving forces as designers, we wanted the wheel pad to be the best looking room in the house. We really, we really meant that. We wanted you to go in there and it was like, whoa, this is cool, you know? So delight is, in, is extremely important uh, to me. And uh, I dare say the, U, uh, the US, US uh, uh, founding principles of, of uh, what is it, freedom. What are, the, what are the three principles of the United States? Is it in the Declaration of Independence? Thomas Jefferson penned it. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Happiness. I think. Happiness is just like that, right? Yeah. Life, got it. <laughs> no point in being free if you're not alive. Life, liberty, you know, being free is important when, you're, yeah. when you have your life. Nobody wants to be oppressed. But happiness, what a strong statement. To, like as a goal, as a, as a culture, right? It's, it's, it's wonderful. And it's the same way I feel about, you know, delight. It's, it's what makes being alive and free worthwhile. It's, you know, swinging out into a river off a tire and jumping into the water. It's, it's you know, the freedom to do that is important. Being alive to, is to do that. But the idea, reason you're doing it is because it's bloody, it's happy for me. <laughs> it's like, so those, those three principles, I think, define a lot of human activities. And I take them very seriously, actually. That's great. So I know that, you know, we've, we've touched on um, the wheel pad a bit, you know, we heard from you kind of where, where it started, why it started. I'd love to learn a little bit more about the process. Um, can you take us through the typical process, start to finish of what um, it looks like when you're designing a wheel pad and installing it to its new home? Sure. So the design is at this point, matter of refinement. Um, we're trying to bring the price down because more people are buying them than we thought. We thought it was originally going to be a lease model, and there's only 
Of the 12 we've installed, only two of them have been uh, leased. Um, it's, it's quite surprising actually. Um, people are buying them. We do have a buy back program because we can use them for other people and, and, and you know, to clean them up, refurbish them and, and make them as good as new for the next person. Um, we saw them as a temporary solution for anywhere from two to seven years. Um, but people have really enjoyed the idea of having it maybe for their spinal injury, but maybe for their mother uh, or their father and keeping them out of a COVID home. We, one of the big things that we, 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 we've helped vets, veterans who are wounded, um, but one of the things we hadn't counted on from COVID was people trying to get their parents into a safe, safely back at home because they were worried about them. Um, uh, and we, we helped three people in three states, <laughs> um, Massachusetts, um, actually two in Massachusetts, New Hampshire and Vermont. So four people, three, oh, five people. My God, what's the elderly, my goodness. Who, who'd have thought? Yeah, one up in Burlington, one in Brattleboro in Vermont, one in New Hampshire, two in Massachusetts. Yeah, wow. It's it's pretty incredible. The um, you know, obviously COVID had a lot of impacts on all kinds of things, but specifically from the accessibility standpoint, um, it, it's it's really interesting kind of seeing what what it did impact and and kind of, you know, I, that could become a trend where people are realizing, you know, maybe they can have their elderly parents or whomever it is at home um, and, and have an accessible way to take care of them. That's like you said, you know, not in a facility or, or home. It's very similar to someone who's not elderly having a you know, physical disability or, or needing access, physical access. So the design process um, is fluid, but interestingly enough, we're making some other models at the moment. And it really begins um, with a kind of a rigorous testing. So one of the things, if you, Elisa, were to come to our studio, now you'd see downstairs, front and center in the main room, blue tape and, uh, and, a, and a wheelchair. We keep a wheelchair at all times um, to put ourselves in the position in a way the books just can't, you know, the text can't, uh, the diagrams just can't. You gotta, you gotta try a transfer yourself and you'll see how difficult it is to go from a chair to a toilet put the armrest down, lock the wheels, the whole bit. And by the way, not in that order, <laughs> lock the wheels first um, and ask me how I know, <laughs> right? I mean, empirical data rules, yeah. literally. You, you experience something, you know it in a way that you'll never know by reading about it abstractly. Um, and uh, one of the things we're testing out is how we can make a kitchenette form in a rather tight space that's useful. So yeah, 34 inch counters. By the way, the industry has already made appliances that are suitable for 34 inch counters. We're still making 36 inch high counters. Go figure. There is nothing in the ADA that says you can't have a 42 inch high counter. If you wanted to shop at Isla, you know, or at, at armrest level, there's nothing that says you can't but have stuff at 34. Like people say, oh, I don't want to bend over. Well, then they're not cooking in big pots because I want to bend over all the time and I like 34 inch for my big pasta sauce or whatever. You know, it's it's actually quite nice. And, and the code, so this idea of like, oh, I got to put everything at 34. No, 
you don't have to put everything in 34, but have a workstation. You might like it. You might like it as a standing adult you might, or, or your child would definitely like it. I mean, again, we're in this mindset where I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. And we've seen where that goes during COVID. Holy cannoli. Um, I'm not going to go there. It's ridiculous. Um, but uh, the, whole, the whole thinking is to stop being I, me, mine, just my perspective. Think about I, me, mine in my wheelchair <laughs> or my whatever. You know, it's like, it's all of us. It's our grandparents. It's our grandfathers. It's, it could be our father. It could be, could be me, as I say. You know, it just stop pretending that life is going to be perfect in every single way and you'll always be super healthy. That's, things happen. And, and I think we as designers owe it to our profession, owe it to our humanity to do the best we can to make it for everybody. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it brings us back to the point that we touched on earlier that, you know, designing things to be accessible shouldn't be the exception. Um, if we kind of implement some of these things that are the rule and are just standard, there are so many benefits of these quote unquote accessible things, whether it be a larger um, you know, doorway or captions on a video that also benefit everyone. Um, and I think we're so focused on, oh, it's only, you know, a few people, it's only, well, do they need it rather than what other benefits can we get from, you know, who else can, can benefit? Maybe it, it offers more creative opportunity. You know, you could have a, people love, uh, open concept homes. So what if it really was, um, you know, just wider and more accessible, it's, you know, I think we, we see that a lot again, you know, relating it back to what we do in the digital space. It's like, oh, well, you know, did you get a request for captioning? Well, no, maybe there's not someone who's deaf, but maybe there's someone who's learning English as another language or who, um, you know, just learns better by reading rather than listening. And, you know, we've seen that in, in a lot of different studies that, that it's not just a benefit for the people who we you know, maybe initially thought it was an accommodation for. I, I'm, I'm thinking again about Amanda Gorman's wonderful, uh, you know, the poetic term of a work in progress. Yeah. And, you know, the, that our nation is a work of progress, imperfect, but there's hope there that, um, and room for hope. Uh, probably one of our best assets as country isn't what most people think. It's the fact that there are, are a lot of people who think differently. And, you know, that's an asset. That's not a liability. It's no accident that some adopted kid from Lebanon figures out how to make computers in the garage that are transform the industry and then later create a tablet and a phone. You know, that kid was not thinking like everybody else, right? Um, uh, it, it's not an exam, you know, it's not random that you know, uh, uh, somebody from, you know, uh, like the best imagination description I ever read was from 1660s, uh, a woman named Phyllis Wheatley, um, poet, born in Africa at seven years old, taken away, become a slave for a Boston family who recognized that she was in fact a genius and had her educated and when she published her first book of poems, nobody in America would publish it. Um, they brought her to UK and 
she wrote by far the best description of what imagination is. Tran obviously transcending a whole realm. I think she had a very short life. I think she lived into early 30s, um, health issues. But she you know, lived, uh, was freed and all that better stuff. But imagine if the Phyllis Wheatleys and the, the who knows who that is not, maybe they have a wheelchair problem and, and, and you know, other people view it as a problem, not as a, a perspective that has wonderful advantages. Suppose all the, these so-called liabilities of color, you know, handicaps that we, as we conceive it as a culture, suppose this, this country is probably the best suited for looking at or making it possible for people to transcend what the expectations of others. The pendulum is swinging towards diversity, like hugely, <laughs> as, as Bernie Sanders would say. Um, it, it really is. I mean, we are, we're, that's probably our best asset, that people who think differently are going to be welcome to express themselves here. The recipe for success is um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we're just making sure each year to give that to more and more people who think differently. And that's our vector. That's our vector. It, it, you know, it used to be to just white guys uh, back in the 17 and 1800s and 1900s, and that's changing, right? Um, as we empower a greater and greater number of our society, I mean, this is gonna be a, a, just a wellspring of ideas and concepts that are just gonna transform humanity. And I really, you know, I wish I could live longer to watch it happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think um, kind of back to what you said, you know, just thinking of our society and our country, I mean, we're supposed to be the melting pot. Um, and, you know, that's also true of different perspectives and different, um, like you said, ways of thinking, um, you know, not, not just from an immigrant and kind of cultural perspective where I think it, it really started, but um, a melting pot of experiences and, and abilities and, and all of that. Um, and I, I do think that, you know, that's kind of one of the other things of all, all the, you know, negative things that came out of the last year and a half with COVID. One positive thing is definitely that there's kind of seems to be an increased awareness about accessibility and, you know, with people working from home and having different needs and, you know, different um, comfort levels of feeling safe and, and healthy. Um, and that kind of put it, it in some ways, put us all on a little bit more of an even playing field of realizing like what it means to accommodate someone. Um, and that, you know, everybody needs to be accommodated in, in some way or another, you know, I, I've been working from home and that in and of itself, I, I needed things to do that. I, you know, I need my laptop here. I needed a desk. Um, and those are all things that are in, you know, some way an accommodation um, that, that I didn't necessarily, you know, I didn't need a desk at home when I was working in the office. So it, it is, it is true. Um, I, th I think we are definitely headed, you know, slow progress, but headed in that direction. And, um, you know, wheel pad and what you're doing is absolutely contributing to that, which is really amazing. Thank you for saying that, Alisa. Thank you. Um, I, I think so. I mean, it's kind of what gets me excited to get up in the morning and solve problems um, and really um, make this option available to more and more of us. You know, I, I, I can only speak for myself. I, 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 I hope one of my daughters um, feels like I could 
be in a wheelpad next to them <laughs> if I need to. You know, I, I, I'm not the kind of person who would do well in an institution. You know, it would just start to close in. I think many people are, you know. Yeah, I, I think it's for definitely there are some, you know, I, I, it has its place. It's just become a, a kind of a, the only option out there. And I, I'd like to think that there's another option um, yeah. for us um, to age gracefully. Um, and I mean, my grandfather got to live with my brother. Um, there was a kind of a, the house that he bought had a rental unit on property. And my grandpa moved in after he said, you know, I'm giving up my license at 91. Uh, I, I don't want to drive. Um, and I, I'm looking for a place to stay. He sold this house. My, my grandmother already passed away from lung cancer. So he uh, moved in with my brother and uh, lived a vibrant life with his garden and coming out and watching us till several weeks after his 100th birthday. And he lived at home. And my brother got to share in the wisdom. And we would go down and visit, you know, so often. Because when you're that age, you can kind of say what, say straight. He, he really had some wonderful, pithy uh, statements. Um, like he would talk about how when he was in the marketplace, he did really well adding numbers in his head so that he could buy the fruits and vegetables at the right price from the wholesaler. And then he said, except for those dismal points, I hated those dismal points, <laughs> the malaprop. Um, he called, uh, he just, he had so many, and it was, you know, laughter, it was just sharing. And then sometimes, you know, hey, grandpa, we're going, we're doing this and this in the business. What, what would you do? He goes, well, never borrow money. You know, he, you know having that wisdom around you, um, I feel like WheelPad will make it possible for our elders to share their wisdom with us because that's so valuable, right? So it's, it's really about that. Yeah, I feel like I'll be, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be very useful if I can help families um, bring their loved ones home. Definitely. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, it's also creating accessibility, not just from a physical standpoint, but, you know, you talked about um, all of the costs that your godson, you know, incurred. In and that's huge. I mean, for, you know, for elderly people as well to even be in a facility with caretakers it's a huge expense, um, you know, aside from the physical and mental toll that it takes, it's a huge expense either for them or for their families. Um, you know, so it's also creating access from a financial perspective, which is, you know, is really important. Um, and, you know, another thing that we need to do better um, with in, in this, in our society. Well, I did want to ask you, um, you know, I, I know you shared a lot about the personal story and, and how you really got into Wheelpad and focusing on accessibility. I was curious, you you briefly mentioned that you had been studying architecture uh, since kindergarten, and I'm curious to know how you actually got into architecture um, sort of before the accessibility piece. Um, that's, that's a, a, an easy answer. I was blown away by architecture at a very early age. Um, my family had students in our, like growing up in our household, they hosted students um, in special cases. Uh, 
Um, and it all began one day when um, somebody called up my mom and said, uh, there's a, a gentleman from Spain who's looking for a family to stay with um, in America uh, when he goes to NYU Business School. And um, they, they had met him, you know, through personal connections, human connections. That's kind of what humans do, right? We're not the biggest, strongest, fastest beings out there, but we do more often than not connect. And that's, that's, our, that's been our superpower. Human superpower is to make connections. Most people are being nice and making connections and helping each other. And my mom took the phone call and said, geez, she couldn't think of anybody who she knew that might want to host this man. And so she went outside. My father was painting a window outside. He was a builder. Oh, my father being a builder is key, right? I'd go down the workshop and I'd, you know, watch him make things. And I love that, you know, long before I was in kindergarten, I was watching my dad make things and I loved it. Um, and, uh, he, he asked, she asked my mom, do you know anybody who'd want to have a student from NYU? And my father stopped painting, looked at her and said, what about us? Which was so random because my mom was the connector and my father was sort of like, just let me you know, do my work and all that. And that changed our lives. Um, I, I, that became the first of many students. We had students from uh, so after that, he told someone, uh, that successful experience, we he told someone about their family uh, from India, from Bombay, Mumbai now. And uh, he stayed with us for uh, three years, um, graduated, got a job at Cooper's Library, and then um, brought his wife over. They would cook with my, with my family. I had, I had parathas and Indian food long before. Totally vegetarian, really fun. Um, to learn about that. And, uh, and they had their first child um, at our house while they were living in our house. And so as a result of this kind of multicultural, we had a Hidipo from uh, Ghana uh, stayed with us for a while. So I, I, you gotta understand, I lived in a very plain vanilla neighborhood and we were always this kind of like, so who are those people? <laughs> and I didn't know, you know, it wasn't a big deal to me. It was sort of where I, how I grew up. I watched each of them. I'd go to like the airport to pick them up or when they transferred and I would go to the TWA terminal and I was blown away by a building that just made everything special. And I remember just being in general at Kennedy Airport, watching how all these cultures would get together and uh, you know work through this. And, and it was so different than my neighborhood. And I felt like wow, it's these buildings are making it so easy for people to meet and greet. And, and I so thought, saw this as a perfect world of harmony um, and very different from my neighborhood in Queens. <laughs> I, you know, I lived under the, watched the planes go up back and forth uh, to Kennedy Airport. I was under a landing ramp, uh, route, uh, runway route. Um, so we'd hear them all the time, every five minutes practically. And I, I think at a very early age, I was in, kind of impressionable about that. We also had another family from Brazil and they, they saw that I love architecture. So they brought books of uh, Brasilia. My Spanish uh, brought books on uh, Gaudi, the famous uh, yeah. Spanish architect, beloved. Um, and I would just open these books and just like, oh my gosh, this would make the world a better place to just make, if people could live in beautiful buildings and 
and, and be like, it felt like they were treated special. So I think a building treats you special if it's really doing its job well. And I feel like the wheel pad treats you special, right? It, it, it's, it's saying everything you are is wonderful. Here's how you can be in this. It's not making a judgment against you. It's, 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 it's supporting you. Um, and and I, I thought there could be nothing better than to be in a situation to make environment that would be delightful. It would be, uh, I didn't realize it delightful, but that's what I was saying, you know. Um, and so, you know, in kindergarten, uh, there was a famous C letter that went home to my parents, you know, because, uh, you know, you know, hey, Beth, what do you want to be? I want to be a nurse. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a fireman. I want to be a policeman. I, I want to be an architect, was what I said. And like, nobody else could even say the word. <laughs> and um, Mrs. Uh, Johnson would write home a letter that, that became lore in my family because I would take the same building blocks that everybody else was playing with and stacking. And I would make like platforms that you could stand on and then bridges for, to another platform. And, you're, and I would make them taller and taller. <laughs> Mrs. Johnson wrote a letter home to my mom saying, your son has to stop making these constructions. They're dangerous. Somebody's gonna get hurt and fall off them. <laughs> um, but I, I, I was already too late. <laughs> So I've always thought about how to build and be part of something that when you walk away at the end of the day, there's something that wasn't there before that's helping people. That's, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for the question, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. So I, I want to um, wrap up. I, I really enjoyed learning about what you do and your passion for accessibility um, and how Wheelpad fits into that. I do want to just ask if you have any sort of final pieces of advice that you'd want to share with our listeners. Hmm. Be curious. Actually, stay curious. It feels like the world conspires in the, in the number of things that are hurled at us in the daily to forget to be curious. And, and that's really why we're not living in caves anymore. We were curious about other options to live. We were curious. It's why we have um, a world that's filled with so many different approaches because people are curious. They didn't just look at somebody differently and say, hey, let's kill them all off because they're different. Like that happened, but the greater majority of people said, no, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> we like that music. We like that art. We like that food. Can you imagine? If Euros had won and we were all eating like Euro food, <laughs> oh my God, I, I shudder to think. You know, Mediterranean cultures, I, 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 my family comes from both sides, from Sicily. Um, can you imagine um, a place more centrally located from Africa? Of course, I found African in my blood when I did my 23andMe, you know, uh, and, and Arabic, 12%. Uh, I mean, it's just funny. Of course they did. You know, pretty, pretty per human is a pretty human, and you're going to go <laughs> say hi to that pretty human more often than not. And it happens all over. And so that curiosity of something different is, I, I feel like it honor that. 
honor that because it's already in us. Just honor yeah. it. Awesome. That's great. And I also want to ask before um, we wrap up our conversation today, how our listeners can connect with you and find you online. There is um, a website I started for my new book project called parkwalks.org. And you can connect at it at me through there. That's really outside of my architecture. Um, and it has a very interesting story about democratizing development by putting parks on the roofs of lower buildings in cities um, that would be accessed from the street, not through the building, and would be connected with like Highline type bridges. Um, there's an article I wrote on that that was published in 2018, I think, um, called Park Walks. Uh, you can find it if you just Google. Uh, that's the most exciting thing. I've been working on that book for a year now. It's um, it's really exciting for me. It's my next big idea. So Wheelpad is is already kind of launched and Julie's taken over it as a business. Um, so you can go to wheelpad.com to learn more about that. Um, Line Sync Architecture. Um, we do creative. Um, people um, always interested to host interns for... Um, High school, college, and grad school um, usually take three interns a year. Um, and that, that's, that's people stand in line for that because <laughs> we, we have a long line for that. Um, so that's a way to connect with me. I am on LinkedIn as Joseph Sincata. Um, I'm on Instagram as Ars S. Longa. Jo I think Joseph Sincata, Ars S. Longa, A R S S E S. Art is long, life is short. It's, a, it's a, a, by Seneca, a Roman poet. I like poets. I like music. I like poets. Um, I have a song that I wrote on iTunes called Tight Like That. If you like it, I'll pay you a penny <laughs> to download it. I think that's all it costs. Um, or a dollar, I mean. I'll pay you a dollar to download it. Um, I have a, so many ways to reach because I, I really like music, art, poetry, inventing. I feel like I've been very lucky to be able to realize 10% of what I think anyway. <laughs> awesome. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much. It was really great chatting with you today. Um, really appreciate you sharing your passion and, um, you know, teaching everyone kind of what, what it means to, to think about accessibility in the spaces that we're living in and, and, and that we're spending time in. Thank you for asking such uh, insightful questions. Intelligent goes without saying, but insightful. They, they caused, uh, they made it easy to kind of cover a lot of the topics that we, we were, were sort of our goals to make sure we touched them. But, but the way you raised it was very conversational. And I really appreciate that. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Allied. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave us a rating and review. To catch all the latest on accessibility, visit www.3playmedia.com backslash allied podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.